Welcome to Potter Not, a podcast for those with conflicted Harry Potter feelings and those who have absorbed Harry Potter through cultural osmosis. We are Zoe, me, a jaded fan. Uh, you can find me at Zoe Topaz, Z-O-E-D-O-P-A-Z on Twitter, and you can buy my book, Ostentatious, The Evolving World of Jane Austen Fans, wherever you find books online. I am E, a potential future fan of Harry Potter. You can find me at C-E-L-1-0-E on Twitter. And Twitch and YouTube. Yes, those also. <laughs> uh, I am Adela, a fan in crisis. You can find me at Aredel, A-R-E-D-H-E-L, underscore, underscore, on Twitter, and Aredel Grace on YouTube. Sweet. We are jumping into our first section of chapters and also our first formerly Pottermore, now Wizarding World sections. <laughs> um, <laughs> So we have requested, and E has graciously agreed, to read the first four chapters of the first book, Harry Potter and the, depending on what country you're in, Philosopher's or Sorcerer's Stone. It is Philosopher's Um, Stone. (laughs) The book that I'm holding says Philosopher's Stone. The Philosopher's Stone, um, which as a reminder, rescued from the outrageous neglect of his aunt and uncle, a young boy with a great destiny proves his worth while attending Hogwarts School of Witchcraft and Wizardry. The chapters that E read are The Boy Who Lived, The Vanishing Glass, The Letters from No One, and The Keeper of the Keys. Yep. The first four chapters, which is uh, exactly 48 pages yep. of, of young adult fiction, so not, not terribly a chore, <laughs> I would say. Uh, no, just wait till we get to, you know, book four. Oh, yeah, you know. Chapter one. The Boy Who Lived. That's right. Mr. and Mrs. Dursley of Number 4 Privet Drive were proud to say that they were perfectly normal. Thank you very much. Perfect. Adela, did you have to read that off the page? I did not. (laughs) So, E? Yeah. Yes. Tell us what you think. So, yeah, so in these first four chapters, um... I was surprised at how much of the beginning of this story I didn't know. Ah. Um, I sort of had the impression from cultural osmosis that the Dursley stuff was going to be very short. Yeah. I, I always figured, based on how much I had heard about it, which was not much, that it was going to be, like, one chapter, and then the letter stuff would happen and such. So I was not expecting for it to take all the way through the end of chapter four. To get to that part. To get to that. To get to, um, yeah, Hagrid showing up and all of that. Also, point of order, had never heard Hagrid's first name. Oh, wow. Oh, interesting. Did not know he had a first name. Rubius. <laughs> Red yeah, cheeked. Rubius Hagrid. Yeah, so I was I was surprised that it was that there was this much substance to this this part of the story, which was interesting. That's kind of fun. Yeah, it is it is fun. Um finding it I would have enjoyed this when I was eight. I, I would have been yeah. really into this. <laughs> uh as a as a twenty three year old, I am seeing some places where I'm already starting to rankle a little bit mm-hmm. at just some of 
like the ways that the author is using stereotypes, I guess. Um, like there's a lot of fat shaming. Yes. Just oh, immediately and constantly. Yeah. Literally every time, and I went through to look at this a couple of times, but like almost every time that Vernon or Dudley are mentioned, there is some comment about their weight. Yeah, or shape. Just constantly. It's yeah. a definite, definitely a huge issue. Also with Hagrid a little bit, there's this like constant association of being fat with being stupid. Yes. Which is sure a thing. It sure is, isn't it? Um, um I have so everyone always jokes that nobody's favorite character from Harry Potter is Harry. Harry is my favorite character. Yeah, he's also <laughs> my favorite character. Um he is very much a especially in I would say the first two books, he is very much an audience surrogate. Um, that's sort of his role to introduce you to the world and the issues within it. And it makes him sort of flat early on, mm -hmm. um, from a literary criticism perspective anyway. Right. Yeah. I did notice that as well. But one of the things that's a little frustrating in that is that you end up with Harry having these thoughts, not just them projected onto the Dursleys. Like, Harry is in many ways in awe of Hagrid, but he's also surprised by Hagrid's ability to do things. Yeah. In a way that is disconnected. Yeah, which comes directly from the way that Hagrid is presented as... Yes, large. You know, a fat. large, unkempt, fat man. Yeah. Who... What, I will also I will also note here that I am extremely irritated by the way that Hagrid's voice is written. Oh, um, yes, he's oh, written with a very. Um, he's the only character so far that is written with an accent. Um, there will there be more be, in the future. There may be more <laughs> further on, I'm sure, yeah. but Hagrid is written and very like every other word of his is altered to reflect an accent. I'm not sure which accent it's supposed to be. I'm thinking it might be Irish or, or something, a, a rhotic accent, as opposed to the general, you know, general UK non-rhotic because of some of the spellings. Hi, E, linguist. Would you like hey. to explain what rhotic is? Sorry. Uh, rhotic are, are accents where you pronounce the R's that come after vowels. Oh, okay. So, like, the, the Boston accent is stereotypically non-rhotic with, like, Pak the Ka and Havid Yad. Also, most accents in England are non-rhotic. So they, they don't say the R's that come after vowels. Uh, Hagrid... He says things like your, for your yeah. parents' world instead yeah, of your... Yeah, that's the word that I think of immediately when I think of Hagrid's accent. Hagrid is written with a lot of R's and like ERs and R's in words that don't usually have them, which mm -hmm. makes me think that he's being written to be like a stereotypically Irish or or I'm not from the UK, obviously. Um, I'm an American and I've not spent time there. 
but I know that accents that pronounce R's are usually lower status accents, lower prestige. Um, so just right off the bat, we're seeing Hagrid as somebody who is not only presented as, you know, a fat man and unkempt, but we're also getting the impression from the fact that he is written with a non-standard accent that we are supposed to look down on this character. And I will say it's the same in the American edition. The he's written, also written with an accent? He's also written with an accent. And um, this is something from the small amount of linguistics that I've studied as well, is that uh, non-quote-unquote standard, non-oligarchic non American accents, there's no high class, low class in the same way that there is in the UK, but you get what I mean. No, but accents. there are high prestige and low prestige yeah. accents. The low prestige accents, aka accents often of people of color, also yep. use a lot of these shortenings of words. And so there's yep. uh, a phrase here, your great puddin' of a son don't need fattening anymore, Dursley, don't worry. So none of the which T's. Is just a heck of a line, yeah. Yeah, which also, there's a lot in there. <laughs> there's but a lot to unpack in that line. There's no T's and there's no ending to the gerund. There's no ing on fattening. It's something yeah, associated yeah. with a lot of dialectical lower class accents. In writing, in yeah. writing specifically. Because I'll, I'll add that that is something that, in casual speech, almost everyone doesn't do. Mm -hmm. Yes. <laughs> um, but in writing specifically, and there's been studies and such that look at this, but whenever a character is written with an accent, it is, like, almost always to other that character. There is mm -hmm. no other reason to do it in writing. Except to say this character is this character is non-standard and you need to see them that way. This is yeah, this is an interesting conversation for me because I never noticed I like I never noticed a problem with the accents in the Harry Potter books. And I have in other books and in the Harry Potter books it never bothered me, which is like that's just a me problem. But I think in the case of Hagrid, it is Obviously, it's purposeful. He is seen as a lower class by the wizarding community. I, like, I understand why that's happening, but it's. I'm glad that you're pointing that out because it's not a thing that I thought about really much before. I thought about it a little bit with the French accents, we'll see later, but I never thought of it much with Hagrid because I'm just so used to it, I guess. I'm looking ahead to see if Seamus has an accent, but because I can't, but I can't immediately find something. Seamus does not have an accent. I, okay. As far as I remember, no. Because um, Seamus is Irish, yeah. Uh, his name, by the way, E, is Seamus Finnegan, in case you were worried that it wasn't Irish enough. Oh, okay, yeah. very good. <laughs> there is no indication whether or not Northern Ireland exists. In the wizarding world, yeah. yeah. Um, they speak of Ireland... And they speak of Wales and they speak of Scotland, all of which have separate Quidditch teams from yes. Britain. And so it's very unclear if that means that there is a like political divide or if the British Isles are considered a political unit by the Wizarding World. Does that imply that there are other Hogwarts-like schools in those Places? So no, we'll get to that in book okay. four. But right. We will get to that in book <laughs> four. I'm comfortable that. spoiling the fact that Hogwarts is the only one in essentially 
Yeah, because that's what I thought I remembered. Yeah, until... Hogwarts is in Scotland, and it's the only one in the UK. Okay. Yeah, yeah. and there's only two in Western Europe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The other one being in France. Yeah. And then you've got one in Russia, one in Africa, one in Japan? Yeah, one in all of Africa, one in all of North America. Uh-huh. One in all of Asia. <laughs> now, these were yep. canon before the author no. started well, going wild? The one in France and the one in Russia are. Okay. And in, then uh, the author went Bulgaria, and... yeah. So accents. Um, mm-hmm. accents. Yeah, so I just a lot of a lot of like lazy ways to write prejudice into a story is like mm-hmm. what was really rubbing me. Like all of the all of the fat comments and then the accent thing really stood out to me. Did you get any sense of class from the Dursleys? That's a good question. I don't think that was something I was paying attention to. I definitely would say so. Like, obviously, yes. Based on the way that they, that, like, Mrs. Dursley, Petunia, looks at her neighbors. Like, they're, they're pretty, obviously, at least to me, situated as a, like, upper, upper middle class. Yeah. Like, the um, Vernon obviously has a, a very cushy job. So here's where I think I differ. Um, I think that they are, like, in the world, upper, upper middle class, because they seem to own their home, they have a car, he works essentially as a CEO. But I think that she writes them as emerging middle class. Mm. Interesting. Okay, I can see that. Even though they have all these things, like, Dudley gets all of these presents the way that their house is described, the way that, I don't know, and maybe this is influenced from other future readings where you can see sort of different houses and Harry's in different places, but I've always felt that they were upper middle class and felt that they were written as emerging middle class, which always made me feel a little uncomfortable. Interesting. Hmm. I can definitely see that. You look at, like, they're so excited to have a home of their own in the suburbs. Yeah. And it's a little unclear as to whether or not that's because they think of it as normal. Or whether them determined to be normal is part of the emerging middle class status. I guess another indication of that is the way they talk about going on vacation. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Like, they don't do it very often. And that comes back in book three also. It makes me wonder what sort of life status the author was in when she wrote this. She was homeless, basically. She was homeless, yeah. Yeah. Because so it this might just may be that she didn't the know. author's perception of yeah. middle class. Because that definitely feels like what it is to me. Like as somebody who has been very like this is a weird this is a weird phrase, but as somebody who's been like culturally poor for their entire life, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. this is also my perception of the upper middle class. Whereas it may be more a better description of the emergent, like, middle class. That's what I was going to say. Is like, I don't, I don't know enough about what classes look like at all <laughs> to be able to determine what they are and what they are written as. I don't know what classes look like in... <laughs> in the early 90s in the UK? Yeah. In the early 90s in the UK, but written to be set in the mid-80s. Yeah. Now, hold yeah, on. Mid-80s. It's 80s. It's the 80s, yeah. 
the beginning of this. Was there personal home computers in the mid eighties? <laughs> Ninety. It's ninety one. By the time yeah. the first like his actual adventure starts, it's ninety one. Okay. Harry so. is born in nineteen eighty. Yeah. Yeah. Because one of the big things is like that. Um, Dudley is obsessed with computer games, which felt very yeah. mid nineties to me. It's yeah. It's um very early nineties. Okay. okay. So it's like you're thinking still like Jesus. What what games really? It's. They give a shout out to Space Invaders. <laughs> yeah, they make a reference to shooting aliens. Um, that's definitely where they're coming from. So we're to the point where computer games have graphics. Yes. Mildly, yeah. 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 <laughs> I guess the, the reason I bring up class is I think it's something you should keep in mind going forward. So. And it'll be a whole other thing when we get into... Yeah, I know that there's the another world. family in this series where portrayal of class is, is going to be a whole thing. Yep. More than one family. Several families. Yeah. What else did you come across? I, I'm just looking through my notes. Uh, one of my notes is just, Dumbledore is an asshole. He is! Okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and I'm sure boy. this is something you're both going to have feelings on. Yeah. Is there a lore reason, shoddy or not, why it had to be blood relatives? Yes. Yes. Okay. I don't think that is explained. Not yet. Okay. It will be explained much later. Yeah, without that context, Dumbledore is 100% absolutely an asshole. Yeah. I'm sure even with the context, it's mostly an asshole. Yeah. But and yet, I still love him. And yet, <laughs> yes, I agree. But I still love yeah. him. I think that I love him a lot less than, than you do, Ardella. I, I, ah. I, I mean, I think it's more, it's along the lines of, like, I love him as a character yeah. so much. And, like, way less than I definitely did growing up, even after I'd read all of the books. Because I didn't realize until rereading several times the issues with him. I definitely loved him growing up. And I think that's kind of carried over to now. That's totally fair. I can't decide whether I feel like Dumbledore is willfully ignorant just like blithely ignoring the fact that these people are going to abuse this child which clearly McGonagall knows mm -hmm. like mm -hmm. she's like what the hell these people are going to be terrible to this kid what are you doing and he's like nah it'll be fine I can't decide if that's true ignorance or willful ignorance um can I and answer your question with a question? Yes. <laughs> Hi, I have a degree in literary studies. <laughs> Welcome. What did you think of McGonagall's... Maybe I'm misremembering. I'm going to open the page. Um, in the American edition, it's page 13. It is also page 13. Okay. So she says, you don't mean... You can't mean the people who live here... Dumbledore, you can't. I've watched them all day. You couldn't find two people who are less like us. And they've got this son. I saw him kicking his mother yeah. all the way up the street, screaming for sweets. Harry Potter. I'm not saying here. she's perfect either. Let no, I actually, I'm wondering what you think of the Dursley's treatment of their own son. Um, that's a whole thing. That's going to be a big thing throughout the beginnings of all of these books. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, obviously, the way the Dursleys are written, they're just cartoonishly 
evil. Like, this is, if you were to try and paint a picture in the mind of a child of people who are rich and spoiled and terrible. That's exactly what it is. That's what this is. And not a lot of, there's not an attempt at nuance. That is a thing I wanted to get into in a minute. I feel like if I were to, like, psychoanalyze the Dursley's treatment of Dudley, that I would be giving a little bit too much credit to the author. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, Because the way that it's supposed to be written is this child is terrible and gets everything he wants and his parents are going to give him everything he wants and it's all terrible and they're all horrible, evil people. Yeah. It definitely does change throughout the books. Like, it becomes more... not I wouldn't say more nuanced, but there you get more substance to the way there. She retcons a bit of nuance into it? I wouldn't mm. say retcon. It's more like there, you see some character development. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Zoe, it sounds like you have thoughts on this. I do. I think I'm going to hold them for now. Okay. And maybe this is a, something that we talk about when we move to the Wizarding World excerpts that we read. And the headcanon. Like, I want to talk about Petunia a lot today. Yeah, I think that there's a lot to be said about Petunia and Vernon's treatment of their son and the harm that it causes him or could cause him. Oh, for sure. But I don't know that I have enough eloquent thoughts about that. I mean, the other thing to say is that there are people like this in real life also. It is cartoonish, but there are people like this in real life. I have met these people. Yeah. I've babysitted for these people. Same. Yeah, and there's that weird class thing again, right? Like this kid is, is, has a brand new bicycle and he has all these things, but also they don't go on vacation. And also they're pretty stingy about like very specific things. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Which actually could just be like, okay, they're not upper middle class. They're not lower middle class they're just middle class yeah like they can afford to do daily luxuries but they can't take a big vacation yeah and i have also met these people who are living large in very specific ways to perform upper upper middle class status without being quite as comfortable as and keep in mind they're a one income household yeah Mm -hmm. which was like for for married couples of that age at that time that was pretty normative yeah yeah to be one income. What else did you find? I one one more comment that I wrote down and then I'm out of like specific thoughts, but you were talking earlier about Harry sort of being an audience stand-in mm-hmm. at this point, which is interesting. I definitely got some of that. However, I also found that Harry is like way scrappier than I expected. Yeah. Yeah. For the cultural perception of Harry Potter that I had. I love him. Yeah. That um, he is just a, he is a little feral child. He is. Also, he's a sassy boy. He's a sassy, scrappy little kid. I feel like, and I don't know how everyone else feels like, that, but we'll, we'll talk about it as we go through the books. But I feel like Harry's character is written really well throughout the books to reflect the way he was brought up and the way he interacts with the world. Yeah, his character is very consistent. And the way he's affected throughout the books, like it it affects his actions in the future in a good way, I think. That is really interesting because I sort of got the opposite perception mm. from these chapters. I was thinking, this does not read to me like a child who has been abused for 10 years. 
Like, there are points, yeah. and, you know, maybe content warning for, like, frank discussions of child abuse, but it does not seem real to me that an, a 10, almost 11-year-old child who's been abused their entire life would physically wrestle their adopted father for male. Mm-hmm. Mm, yeah. Like, I cannot imagine that happening. And that might be, I like, can just guess at reasons for that, but, like... A lot of his not reflecting the abuse in the early books might just be because they are the early books and they are for children. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I mean, it would be a much darker, like, it would be a absolutely different first four chapters if mm -hmm. if Harry was being written. Even in this, like, accessible young adult writing, if he was being written as a realistic survivor of abuse. Yeah. So I can see why it's happening. Like, I can see why he's being written as, as scrappy and sassy. Like, I, I can see that. It just rang kind of hollow to me. For sure. Absolutely. Um, for my heart, <laughs> before we move on, uh, were there things that you liked about the first four chapters? <laughs> yeah, I feel like I've been complaining nonstop, but I really did enjoy this. I, I read it, so I read it twice, once for just enjoying it, and then a second time to actually pick out my critical thoughts. Mm -hmm. But, like, despite all of the problems that I have with it, this is good young adult writing, and I'm enjoying it. That's encouraging. And I'm, I'm looking forward to, to continuing to read it. So, I think what we decided, I think that you're reading chapters 5, 6, and 7? So that would be Diagonally, Platform 9 and 3 quarters... And the sorting hat. And I would stop before the potions master. Yeah, because then potions master, midnight duel, and Halloween. It works out perfectly. It would be the next chunk after that. So if you're yes. reading along, uh, yeah. the next episode will cover Diagon Alley, the journey from that platform and nine and three quarters, and the sorting hat. And the episode after that will cover the potions master, the midnight duel, and Halloween. Um, and then I think we'll do four chapters each for the next two after that. Yeah. Some of them are very short. Adela, do you want to bring anything up about these first four chapters before we move to Wizarding World? Um, I think I'm good. Oh, just one more comment. Sorry. Yeah. So, about to be on my world-building bullshit. <laughs> yes. How to introduce a magic system. Yes. Is the only things that you see in these first four chapters are things happening by accident specifically to and around harry yes and then you see like a hint of hagrid using an implement i think it's an umbrella mm -hmm. to to do the thing where he turns dudley into half a pig which is boy that's a thing yep it is very interesting to me that this is the franchise that i associate the most with intentional magic use like you have to have a wand you have to yep. say this thing and then the first the first chapters are like oh no shit just happens <laughs> well yes that so that was a that was a very radical change in perception for me it kind of gets explained later but kids at seven they start to show magical ability and it's always sporadic until they have a, an instrument to channel it through yeah, that's so that's very interesting. Yeah. Uh, and then Hagrid's, you will find out more about later. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I will say what this does and what you should think about magic as in the world of Harry Potter, and this will help especially as you move into book two, think of magic as an innate ability. 
Yes. I have also gotten there is a bloodline component. <sighs> we will talk about that. We will get there. But I that's like that's obvious from the beginning. Yes. Based on all the all of the focus on Harry's family and one sister having it and one sister not. So that's a thing. Yes. Um, one thing that I do want to bring up before we go too much further is that in the American edition, and this is not true in the British edition, um, the handwritten sections, people, things that are letters or addresses are written in different fonts and different, uh, typefaces. Oh. The like addresses, the Mr. H Potter, the cupboard under the stairs for private drive, little whinging, Surrey, that's written in different typeface. And, um, it is distinct to each character. So later on, okay. you see other handwriting from other characters, and they are all distinct and unique to each one. And that's really fun. And that's just um, shout out to Scholastic, uh, <laughs> uh, which is not something I say very often. <laughs> um, but shout out to Scholastic for putting together what is a very cool and very memorable world building piece. One of the things that I really associate with Ron and Hermione is their handwriting, which is something huh. that, like you can never know unless they do it for you. And yeah. the Scholastic Editions did a great job picking typefaces for Hagrid and Ron and Hermione that work. Oh, that's really um, cool. And it is consistent across all seven books. So you're you're almost tempting me to want to read the American editions. I'm still <laughs> not going to. I mean, just check them out from the library just to see what the handwriting looks like. It is also consistent in like Quidditch Through the Ages, which is quote unquote annotated by the kids. That is, I do have that for the... Then you know what their handwriting looks like. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think it's, it's really fantastic. Okay. So okay. we are moving on to Pottermore. Well, Wizarding World. I'm calling it Pottermore. I already I just I said that to E also. I want to call it Pottermore. These pages do say originally published on Pottermore. And when we're talking about the world of Harry Potter and we say the wizarding world, it's yeah. the thing. So Pottermore is a different thing. So we read number four, Privet Drive, originally published on Pottermore on the 10th of August, 2015, and Vernon and Petunia Dursley, originally published on Pottermore on August 10th, 2015. I think we should look at number four, Privet Drive, first, because it has less to unpack and is short and sweet. Yep. Yeah. So the number four, Privet Drive page is mostly about the naming of things. So she says here that the, the privet bush is the most suburban plant, <laughs> which is very interesting. I don't, I, that must be a European or like England specific bush because I'd never heard of that word yeah. outside the context of Harry Potter. When you think of a hedge, yeah, that's yeah, a like privet. she says, it makes hedges. Mm -hmm. I think we have it in the U.S., but I don't know that we call it that. Yeah, this is one of the things. Like this, this is written like the thoughts from J.K.R., which I actually, for the most part, at least from what I remember, I like those parts better than the expanded lore parts. Yeah. Because I like having background writing things. Um, I think that's less intrusive to the fan. This is the yeah. behind the scenes. Yeah, I yeah. like having behind the scenes. It's behind the scenes rather than the like director's cut or whatever. 
Yeah, yeah, exactly. I actually really love the way that she describes, you know, she describes that Dursley's house is big and square, but in that's not actually how she pictured it. Mm-hmm. And the fact that despite the description of being big and square, when they created it for the movies, and also how I always thought about it, like I never really remembered that it was big or square. Mm-hmm. I always thought about it as sort of like a, a pokey, lots of walls, three yeah, bedrooms. Yeah, like I was house. envisioning... Like, this is obviously a very New England style, but I was envisioning a cape, which is like a, a square sort of four-roomed downstairs and then a small cramped upstairs where the bedrooms yeah, with are eaves. just yeah. under, the, under the eaves. Oh, yeah. That, this is really interesting because I was, as I was reading this, I was thinking about how I imagined number four Privet Drive. And I realized that the way I, I pictured it colored the way I pictured every house in every book I read after that unless it was described very specifically in a different way it's just a layout that I've had in my head since I think I read the first Harry Potter book Mm -hmm. the interesting thing for me is that I think I pictured the upstairs exactly how my house that I grew up in was described Mm -hmm. because it also had three bedrooms one of which was quite small um, and a single bathroom and sort of a hallway situation across from the stairs which is exactly how the upstairs is described Mm-hmm. But I pictured, I guess it was like a friend's grandmother's house with a lot of like lace doilies and sort of pokey rooms separated by walls. And sort of yeah. that's how I pictured the downstairs. So there was a really big disconnect in how I pictured the two halves of the house and that they were very different styles and all these different things. But it like, it didn't matter in my brain. That's just how it sort of worked together. Yeah. Mm. It is interesting to me. Just from reading this page and thinking about our discussion about class, mm-hmm. about how the house is described, like when she explicitly describes the house, she has this concept that is big and square and like smugly middle class, smugly middle class. And then the actual minute to minute details of it sound much more like a small family home. I picture it so cramped. It might be also the way the characters interact in the house because it they're always like much. falling over each other and just yeah. like in each other's way. Yeah. She says which makes it feel she pictures it as the second house she lived in as a child, yeah. which was a rather small three-bedroomed home. Yeah, every spatial interaction in the house feels cramped and like there's stuff everywhere and it's cluttered and yeah. What did you think of the drawing? Oh, at the bottom of this page. That's she did it. Oh, really? Okay. I hadn't noticed the signature. Yeah, she actually did most of the, like, first rounds of drawings for the books, especially the early ones. Very cool. I like that. Um, yeah, so if anyone's not looking at the page right now, what we have is a, uh, looks like a, a pen and ink drawing mm-hmm. of uh, Harry, you know, 10-year-old Harry standing in front of the fireplace. Um, which has various portraits of the Dursleys uh, sitting on the mantle and hanging above it, in all of which they are um, either cartoonishly fat or cartoonishly thin. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, and Harry is drawn in a, you know, more or less realistic style. Yep. He looks white in this. Yes. Uh, yes. He seems to be depicted as Caucasian here. Like, it is, it is obvious that uh, the author sees everyone in this situation as white. Yep. Mm-hmm. Should we move to... Yes, we should move on to Vernon and Petunia Dursley, which I have not read this page before. Oh! So really? this was all new information to me. 
I didn't know that like so this is one of the things where she's giving this background information um, or this extra information that we don't need and in this case I don't mind it there's when Pottermore first opened or first launched second version of Pottermore I think it was I don't remember when I first saw Pottermore I think it was in 2009 or 2010 okay that's the first version I think yeah and I loved all of this. Like, I loved getting the background information and stuff like that. So E, for context, the original version of Pottermore was basically a browser game. Like, click through and you could click on objects and see, like, the background of an object, the background of a person. It was very much a, like, discover the secrets as you walk through all of these scenes. And you had you had the option of, like, learning spells and you had common rooms for your assigned house and there were basically forums there were chat rooms and like yeah forums and stuff. yeah and then they shut it all down and didn't allow you back anything up and they started the second version of pottermore which was very clean it had none of that community building and it was essentially just a collection of writing yeah with some the quizzes. first version was definitely my perception of pottermore even yeah though it seems like that didn't actually last very long no. Well, actually, yeah, it did. It was almost six years. Oh, wow. Um, okay. Because this, the version of Pottermore that we thought we were going to be working with, that launched in like 2015, 2014, okay. 2015. So, okay, before we dive into this page, I just want to ask, is there any information in the books or in canonical writing about Lily and Petunia's parents? Ooh. Very little. Okay. We don't even know their names. Okay. All right. Because what I'm getting so far is that, like, we know that Lily was older? Uh, um, no, Lily, no, no, Lily Lily's was younger. younger. Okay. But the, the, the star child of the house. Yeah. Because she yes. was special. I think that that is not necessarily true until she turns 11. Well, yeah. Yes. I was wondering if we knew whether the parents were uh, magical themselves. They're definitely not. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah, I guess it's never, it's not said in the first book, or at least not at the beginning, that Lily Evans is a, a muggle-born. Okay. I, I was sort of getting that impression, but I wasn't sure. Mm -hmm. That would have been a very different story if they if it was a wizarding family and petunia was not magical she would be a different thing which we will get to in book two we will get right. to that later yeah because that could also have been true like yes with the backstory that's given in the first chapters here that could have been the case yes that is true so on this page about vernon and petunia we have like the backstory of how they got together which is all right, I guess. Okay. <laughs> still, in 2015, still hammering on the stereotype that he is fat and stupid. I would push back on the stupid. Yeah. Well, st uh, at least fat and unspecial. Yes. Yes. But purposefully almost unspecial. Like, that he desires this. He wants yeah. to be ordinary. That's yeah. literally the first line of the book, is they want to be ordinary. The, she writes here, She met the extremely unmagical, opinionated, and materialistic Vernon Dursley. Large and necklace. Yes. I also wrote down that quote. Yeah. I guess I would push back against the stupidity part, because he knows exactly what he wants, and he knows exactly how to get it. Yeah, that's fair. I guess it's not stupidity so much as, like, 
dullness and extremely intentional dullness. Mm -hmm. Which I, this is where I want to start talking about Petunia, if we don't mind. Please. Sure. Because it's not something that I ever really thought of reading the books. But looking at this, like Petunia seems so flat. And like, I don't know, it, it just seems like she just fits immediately into what Vernon is like, despite yeah. having a very strong personality growing up. Yeah, so it is very interesting to me with only the context of the first four chapters of the first book and this page that, this is going to sound harsh, but that people care about Petunia. Mm -hmm. People mostly don't care about Petunia. Okay. Yeah, I care about Petunia because of this AU that we're going to talk about later. Um, yeah, but it's like looking at that AU, I'm like, damn, people have feelings. Yeah. I think people more have feelings about the child abuse that yes. Harry and arguably Dudley received as yeah. children. And we will get to this, obviously, but are attempting to fix that via Petunia, right. who we have more information about because of the canonical yeah. connections. But Petunia seems like a potential for an interesting character, yes. but it, an interesting character that has not been written. And the thing that I really like about the AU that we're going to talk about later, that we don't get in this background uh, info or in the book is how Petunia feels about her sister. Obviously her feelings are complicated, but... Are the feelings complicated as written in the book? Yes, yes. They become... So far they are not. No, that's what I'm saying. They like, are later... explicitly complicated. Yes, okay. later. <laughs> yeah. And like significantly enough later that it, it almost feels like a retcon. Okay. Mm -hmm. But I will point out the first sentence, of, and I, this was written in 2015, so after the books were finished. But the first sentence of this, or second, I guess, Petunia Evans forever embittered by the fact that her parents seemed to value her witch sister more than they valued her. As far as we can tell, from the very small canonical information we have about Petunia and Lily's parents, they loved them both. They seem to be good parents. Yeah. To me. And it's more about... Petunia's feelings about herself, which also comes up later. And by later, I mean like book five. Five is where it like starts to come up and then six a bit more. And then seven is where you really yeah. get into it. So what I see in the book now and what you're talking about maybe later. Yeah. But in chapter four, uh, Harry is confronting Petunia about like you knew yeah. Um, and Petunia says, of course we knew. How could you not be? My dratted sister being what she was. Oh, she got a letter just like that and disappeared off to that school and came home every holiday with her pockets full of frog spawn, turning teacups into rats. I was the only one who saw her for what she was, a freak. But for mm -hmm. my mother and father, oh no, it was Lily this and Lily that. They were proud of having a witch in the family. I think I'm comfortable spoiling something for you if you want. Okay. Yeah, please. Petunia attempts, Petunia writes a letter to Dumbledore. She wants to go to Hogwarts. She and her sister were very close at a young age. Okay, this is canon? Yes, this is canon. Okay, all right, interesting. And it wasn't until they were basically at Platform 9 and 3 quarters, or just before, that Petunia realizes this is never going to happen for her. Okay. And the reason that we know this is for a reason that I won't. But, but we do know that, like, there's a lot of jealousy. There's a lot of jealousy. Okay. And at Platform 9 and 3 quarters, basically, 
that's where Petunia realizes this is never going to happen for her. She's never going to be as quote unquote special, despite the fact that her parents very clearly love her and her sister loves her, like adores her to the point where she really, really misses having her sister mm -hmm. because they basically stop speaking. That, that moment is when Petunia calls Lily a freak. No one else does. All right. Also, yeah, the, that's a thing that I don't think about a lot, but it's, <laughs> even just thinking about it right now, it's making me choke up a little bit, but thinking about how much Lily loved her sister. And like, it is clear because Petunia and Vernon were the ones that made them not talk, kept the two families apart. And Lily wrote to Petunia all the time. Interesting. Or at least at first. At least at first. In book five, you learn that. Yeah. It wasn't that long before Lily died anyway. But but like she sent, I think, a baby photo to Petunia mm -hmm. yeah. after Harry was born. Like she attempted to keep up communication. Yeah. And so in book five, and then again in flashbacks in five and six, and then very briefly at the start of seven, Petunia opens up a little bit about her feelings. Mm -hmm. And they are strange and relatable and complicated. There's a lot of things, like we talk about retconning later in the books, but I feel like there are a lot of things where she started out writing things very cartoonishly, especially with side characters, and then I think realized later that th their stories were more important than she had given yeah, yeah that's that what sense. I was about to say is like all of this stuff that you're you guys are talking about which I don't doubt happens later on like I don't doubt that she gets this character arc and this complicated you know emotional relationship with her sister and her family I just there's nothing to support it now yeah I cannot see any of that in her portrayal right now which is which is a bummer because like it seems like it would be really interesting to have that and there's a moment that she could have put it in right so she gives that speech that you just read and then it says, and I'm again reading from the American edition, she stopped to draw a deep breath and then went ranting on. It seemed she had been wanting to say this, say all of this for years. That moment could have said she choked up or mm -hmm. she paused, right? Like one turn of phrase and it gives complexity to a character. And instead, then she met that Potter at school and left and got married and had you, I knew you'd be just the same, just strange just as as abnormal and then if you please she went and got herself blown up and got landed with you yeah like it's just pure resentment vitriol. like yeah vitriol and i think that this this pottermore piece doesn't it doesn't add much to it doesn't add much to it at all there is literally a moment in book seven that adds more to petunia's entire character than the, the unnecessary yeah. information here mm-hmm yeah, I mean, I guess in the in the second paragraph below the first illustration, there's a little bit about, um, she writes, Petunia had some latent feelings of guilt about the way she had cut Lily, whom she knew in her secret heart had always loved her out of her life, but these were buried under considerable jealousy and bitterness. Petunia had also buried deep inside her and never confessed to Vernon her long-ago hope that she, too, would show signs of magic and be spirited off to Hogwarts. Which is straight from canon. Yeah. That's, yeah, that's referencing the letter that she wrote to Dumbledore. Yeah. Um, and just above the, the first illustration, which is of Hagrid, Dumbledore, and McGonagall looking at 
um, a swaddled baby Harry. And this is again, uh, a JKR illustration done in pen and ink. Above that, uh, it's talking about Petunia's wedding because we really needed to know it. Um, Petunia did not want Lily as a bridesmaid because she was tired of being overshadowed. Lily was hurt. Like there is these tiny, tiny driplets of information that give you this stuff, but literally there's one moment in what is it, book six or book seven? Right, where that Harry, supports this. Yeah, have like a moment mm-hmm. that even if that was like you didn't hear any of the flashbacks, that one moment complicates Petunia's relationship with Harry and with her sister more than anything in this Pottermore piece because yeah. it all pulls from that moment. Yeah, I think a lot of this Pottermore piece, I wouldn't call the way that Petunia's character is developed in the books bad retconning because I don't think she expected what her books were going to become. Yeah. Right? So it's not like the facts that we have here reject that later. But that's what I'm saying is like the the Pottermore page is unnecessary slash bad retconning because it's not it's not even telling us anything it's just it's like oh this is stuff I said later in the book and I'm saying it here so that you can it seems like I knew it at the beginning this is something that I mentioned when we were talking about the chapters Harry is our audience surrogate right here and he Mm -hmm. is an 11 year old boy (laughs) yes yes so this is also what he is seeing as much as this is written in third person this is very much a first person narrative yes it sort of makes some sense that mm-hmm. it's all cartoonish and yeah. everyone's emotions are, are clear. Yes. And yeah. exaggerated. And that they become less exaggerated over time, which it also reflects how children grow up. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. things feel very different when you're 15 than when you're literally one minute past 11. Oh, extremely. <laughs> Should we move on to the yeah, let's... beautiful, beautiful... Headcanon, <laughs> AU. Uh, again, going to be something that you guys have much more feelings about than I do. Yeah, this was my contribution. Yeah, do you want to just, uh, Zoe, do you want to describe what this is? I would love to. This is from the Tumblr inked slash splotch.tumblr.com, published December 31st, 2014. So before these were published on Pottermore. This is an alternative universe headcanon. That is, it is a snippet of uh, fan fiction writing, something that most people would probably call a ficlet, and alternative universe in that the author has decided that they are going to take one thing that happens and change it so that it's almost like going down a different, a different trouser mm. of time. What if, what if this butterfly flapped its wings? Exactly. <laughs> so it starts off with a what if. Um, And it says, what if, when Petunia Dursley found a little boy on her doorstep, she took him in, not into the cupboard under the stairs, not into a twisted childhood of tarnished worth and neglect. What if she took him in? And what this does is it reframes the way that Petunia feels about Harry. That's it. That is how it starts. And it says, instead of holding all of this resentment and guilt, what if instead Petunia said, this is basically the last living member of my family. I'm going to take him in and I'm going to love him because he is my family. While still resenting her sister. Yes. The second paragraph is Petunia was jealous, selfish, and vicious. We will not pretend that she wasn't. Yeah. So still resenting Harry and still resenting That's one of the things Lily. I love about this. It sticks to her personality. It's still her character. Yeah. So in this AU, I guess I'll just go ahead and 
and say it, she divorces uh, Vernon and she completely changes the story. She Mm -hmm. raises Dudley and Harry as children who are siblings, who are loved. They are quite poor. And Dudley and Harry grow up as siblings who love each other. Yeah, who love each other. And as siblings, Mm -hmm. Harry, it is stated in here, uses Potter in the Wizarding World because that surname means something in the Wizarding World. And he uses Evans, which is Petunia's maiden name and his mother's maiden name, when at home, because that is the surname that Petunia goes back to in this AU. And I think that this particular author um, did an incredible job uh, at taking a potential story that was just sort of left out there and turning it into, well, a real tearjerker. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it, this AU goes a long way to humanize uh, Dudley as well. Yes. Yes, it does. It does a really good job at looking at what could have happened should the way that the two children were raised, I guess if they had been raised humanely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This is an argument for nurture over nature. <laughs> That's right. what this whole story is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. Um, Adela, <laughs> what do you think of this AU? Which I will not give away the end of because I think it is yes. worth... E didn't finish reading it because, yeah. I have also not read all the way through this because... How far did you read E? Um, I stopped at the paragraph when he wrote home to the little two-bedroom apartment where Petunia hung her hat and Dudley scowled over his exams. He signed his name Harry Evans because that name meant something to him. That's a good spot for you to stop. Yes. Yeah, because I saw I saw the next paragraph and I was like, mm, this is going to get into places. So what I really like about this AU, there's a lot of things I really like about this, this the way it's written, but I really like that it includes, it doesn't change the big plot points of the story. Mm-hmm. It keeps those. And even the big plot points of what happens with the Dursleys, like um, the fact that Petunia still takes... Harry and Dudley away when the letters start arriving and it's not because she doesn't want Harry to be magical it's because she wants Harry to be safe because the wizarding world stole her sister from her and she Mm -hmm. doesn't want it to take Harry which (laughs) it's a good reframing yeah it is it's really good also that before that but realizing that Petunia had to arrange the Potter's funeral yeah which yeah. um, I will just go ahead and say in canon is not what happens. Yeah. Does canon address that? Yes. In book seven. Okay. Does it address who, I who will arranged hold on. it though? I guess it was basically said that it's arranged by people in the wizarding world. He closed your ears. There was no, there was no way to rescue their bodies. So it was yes. literally just a burial. And it was yeah. done, as far as I remember, by uh, Sirius before those things oh, happened. Oh, yes. Okay, yes. That makes sense. Um, okay. E, you can open your ears again. <laughs> <laughs> it is something that I find really interesting in that even though, as we were mentioning earlier, people mostly don't care about Petunia, and for good reason. This is a reframing that even though it is about Harry, it is about Petunia, yeah. and it essentially is one of those things that like makes you care about Petunia in a way that you would never have done so before. Mm-hmm. But I do think that it is important to recognize that this is the power of fan fiction, and this is something that we will probably be discussing as we go through Pottermore slash Wizarding World, mm-hmm. is it is not incumbent on the author to do this. Like, Yes. We're good at this as fans. The Harry Potter fandom is so good at this. 
Yeah. Like, one of the greatest things about fanfiction as a thing that people do when they care about a piece of media is the way that people can take those side characters or those characters that get, you know, a one-sided cartoonish personality and develop them and flesh them out and care about them. You know, this happens, this has happened for, you know, centuries. Yeah, literally. And that is, that's great. And that is one of the, I think, failings that a lot of people have found with the author is that she is trying to do the job that fans have already been doing. Mm -hmm. And that makes it worse. Yeah. And there are authors who I will say are good at this. Adela and I are both actually reading this, I think, <laughs> or it's on your to read list. Um, but Philip Pullman just came out with his second of the second trilogy that he's writing that's set in the world of his Dark Materials. Let me be clear, this second trilogy is essentially fan fiction, right? <laughs> like, just because the author I haven't is read it yet. <laughs> but it's, that's how it is, right? Like, when you write extensions of stories, mm -hmm. that is also an area in which fans are working, is writing the next thing that happens, or the prequel, the, the build-up to what happens in the original. The difference there is that rather than writing it in a fan fiction style, in drips and drabs, in small pieces, across time, as JKR did, Philip Pullman was like, hey, I have these ideas. Let me fucking publish a trilogy, just yeah. like I did the first time around, in traditional publishing, which is where, as an author, I feel most comfortable. And there's nothing mm. against authors writing fan fiction. My god, there are tons of authors, and sometimes they publish it, and sometimes they don't. And when I say publish, I mean online, not in traditional yeah. publishing. But this feels different because she essentially created a site just for her own fan fiction. Yes, and yeah, also JKR's fanfiction.net. Yeah. She doesn't say that it's fan fiction, like, and she doesn't believe that it's fan fiction because she's saying this is canon. All of this is yeah. canon. It's presented as canon in a space in which this kind of material is usually seen behind the scenes yes. or fan fiction. And some of this is a total ridiculous distinction in in type, right? Like, there's no reason that we should consider 105,000 word fanfiction novels on AO3 to be any less than a, a thing that I go and buy at the Harvard bookstore. Like, absolutely, we should be considering them the same. And we don't because society is as society does. But this is a type of writing and style of writing and expansion on canon, often referred to as headcanon, that is much, much more common in the fan space, except rather than doing it on AO3, she went and published her own site. It just feels... It's, it's very, out of touch. It is. With what fans do. And what fans want. A lot of what JKR does would, can be described as out <laughs> of touch. Yeah. Um, yes. Fans are better at this than authors are. And that will probably be a recurring theme as we continue to read Potterboard. Yes. Yeah. I do think that this AU is special. Mm -hmm. It's very well written and very well thought out. If you go on AO3, you can read entire rewrites of all seven books that are practically the length of the original seven book series. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And some of them are quite good. This is one where, if it were allowed, let's say in, oh, 70 years, <laughs> this is one where I would kill to see yeah. a rewriting of these seven books in this story yeah. this one also and i i can't make any speculation about the situation of this 
um, fan's upbringing, but this feels like somebody who is much more personally in tune with how life situations like this play out. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Which um, is fascinating because at the time, JKR was literally penniless and writing yeah. this first book on napkins. Yeah. yeah. There's something in the Dursleys, to go back to the Dursley pages that we read, yeah. there's something in the Dursley's aspiration to be normal and middle, upper middle class and ordinary that is part of what JKR wanted too. Yeah, that rings mm -hmm. a very true for a lot of people. I don't know how it is in England, but for a lot of white uh, families in the U.S., that is the case. You know, that American dream of being, you know... The white the perfect, picket fence. Yeah, white picket fence, the perfect 50s the perfect family page. with one income and happy kids and... Yeah, as Adela said, like, the white picket fence in the U.S. is clearly the privet hedge. Yeah, and that, that, you know, wanting to attain that status while not... Or attain or perform that mm -hmm. while not having it is very realistic. How many times did you cry while reading this, Adela? I was pretty much choked up the whole time from when yeah. it first talks about the Potter's funeral. But there's also parts that are, like, so sweet and also funny like i do want to i guess pulling back to something that eu mentioned this is from later on and i'll just skip the parts that are spoilers um so at some point dudley is involving himself in the world which makes sense <sighs> given the start of this au he worked as a messenger throughout the thing ran missions that didn't require spells but did require a pocket of joke shop tricks and a tendency to be underestimated and overlooked Wizards looked at him and thought Muggle, the worst of Muggles. They made assumptions about Dudley they did about, the way they did about Ron's smudged nose, Hagrid's big frame and kindness, and the way Dumbledore played senile old fool until you got too close. So that is directly in opposition about both Dudley and Hagrid to what yeah. you were bringing up about the fat phobia and the comments in the first four chapters of yeah, the canon yeah. material. It is directly in opposition and using the societal assumptions and norms about fat phobia and fat people yeah. yeah and that would have been way better like it's mm -hmm. not as if fat phobia and fat shaming doesn't exist and wouldn't exist in a world like this mm -hmm. yeah on the note of harry and dudley's relationship one other part that was really special for me was when i think it's right after harry first reads his letter or when uh hagrid shows up and Petunia sits Dudley and and Harry down and tells them that they're not allowed to hate each other. Yeah, I like that line a lot. It was so good because she remembers how how her relationship with Lily changed after Lily got the letter. Which pulls from and again this wasn't extant when this was written, but in the Vernon and Petunia article, it mentions that, right? Like this fan went through the canon and read that just fine and didn't need jkr to enumerate it right like we found <laughs> yes. that we got it we, got <laughs> we understand shall we talk about what we're doing next week and yeah yeah so i will be reading chapters uh five through seven i don't have the names right now but diagon alley the journey from platform nine and three quarters the sorting hat oh and <laughs> i don't think we decided what our next other segment is i have some suggestions for pottermore okay the Hogwarts Express, hat stall, and the sorting hat. Yes. And then yes, maybe 
Monster Ollivander. I think that one's really more about wands. It would be good to talk about wand lore. So I think reading Ollivanders would be cool. Okay. Uh, thanks for listening to this episode of Potternot. Uh, I have been Zoe. You can as Ostentatious, the evolving world of Jane Austen fans wherever you buy books online. I have been E. You can find me at CEL10E on Twitter and Twitch and YouTube. And I am Adela. Uh, you can find me at Aridel, A R E D H E L underscore underscore on Twitter and Aridel Grace on YouTube. Thanks for listening. Thanks. Bye. Bye. <laughs> All right. <laughs>